0: Welcome to the Distance Sports Podcast. I'm John Newton, and we're about to go all the way with sports around the world. I'm joined by our resident kicker here at the distance, Olin Hayes.
1: Hello, John. Let's take a look at today's lineup. Olin, take us through it. So today we are going to talk about the World Series. Game 7 is coming up tonight as the World Series goes the distance. We're going to preview Game 7 and take a look back at the first six games as well. We're going to hand out some midseason awards for the NFL. Week 8 was this week, so we're about halfway through over there. So We're going to go through each position and hand out awards to the top player. In the second half of the show, we're going to look at some of the NHL's top teams so far this season. and I'm going to give you a tribute to Andre Johnson, because for the second straight week, we have a Texans great retiring from football.
0: Last night, on Tuesday, the Cubbies. Knotted things up at three games apiece in the World Series as Russell explodes for six RBIs
1: after just his first two at-bats. That was a very impressive night. Addison Russell started off with a two-run double and a grand slam in his first two at-bats. As John mentioned, tying a World Series record with six RBIs in a game held by a few people, including Albert Pujols and Hideki Matsui, uh, really got the Cubs not only back into the series, but gave them a lot of momentum heading into tonight as they won 9-3.
0: Let's take a look at how we got to this point. We'll take it game by game. In Game 1, Kluber dominated, the bullpen held strong, and Perez hit two homers for a 6-0 Cleveland victory.
1: Yeah, the Cubs came right back after that, though. Uh, Game 2 looked very similar in the opposite direction. Jake Arrieta was fantastic, held the Indians to one run through six innings. Trevor Bauer was shaky, got pulled in the fourth, and the Cubs ended up winning that one 5-1.
0: One apiece as we go into Game 3. Tomlin was stellar. Miller was amazing. And Crisp drives in the only run as a pinch hitter for a 1-0 Indians victory. Take a 2-1 lead in the series.
1: That was some really good managing there by Terry Francona. Uh, A lot of times people assume that AL managers aren't going to know what to do in an NL ballpark. But Francona used his bullpen perfectly and pulled out the right pinch hitter at the right time for Coco Crisp to come out and get the only RBI of the game. Uh, And that really set them up going into Game 4. Corey Kluber was great again. Uh, short rest didn't seem to affect him at all. John Lackey did not look like himself. He was shaky. Uh, he's been in the World Series before. It didn't look like an experience issue. It just looked like he didn't have the right stuff. He didn't have good enough pitches to take down anyone on the Indians, really. Cleveland ended up taking that game 7-2 and taking a 3-1 lead.
0: Cubs trying to come back, but they rallied for a three-run fourth inning in Game 5 against Bauer. Chapman has a 2 and 2 thirds inning save. That was crazy. 3-2 Cubbies.
1: Yeah, that was that was a really spectacular game. Uh, just all around, the Cubs went up 3-1 on that fourth inning rally. Indians got one run back, but then <laughs> Joe Madden decided to go to his closer with one out in the seventh, and it worked out.
0: Wild things happen in the postseason, and when you have someone like Aroldis Chapman, you have to use that fastball.
1: Yeah, and it, it's, you know, that's something with both of these teams right now, is this is a short game. Game seven tonight. I think that's one of the key things is that both of these teams have such amazing bullpens. At game six, we saw that again. I mean, the Cubs pulled ahead early, went up seven nothing. Uh, final score was nine three, but they pulled in Chapman regardless. They brought Chapman in to pitch a couple of innings, uh, and he he looks great again. You wonder if he can do it three days or three out of four days, three games in a row, but he certainly showed no signs of slowing down last night.
0: Tonight, one drought ends. And one drought will continue on for who knows how long. Tonight, the last game of the season. Tonight, we find out if Indians fans are going to regret calling out Golden State Warriors fans for blowing a 3-1 lead in the (laughs) finals. All answers start with the Kluber-Hendricks matchup.
1: Well, I think if both teams could pick which pitcher they want in a Game 7, this would be it. They are both... Uh, Cy Young candidates in their respective leagues. These could be the two Cy Young Award winners this year. Kyle Hendricks came out of nowhere and was incredible. Corey Kluber has won the Cy Young before and he's very, very good this year. Uh, a little bit down from his Cy Young Award winning year, but he has been unbelievable in the playoffs. I think Kluber has the slight edge in this pitching matchup. Uh, Hendricks was great when he played. I mean, he pitched game three and held the Indians to one run, but Kluber has pitched twice already and has proven both times that he knows what he's doing I can see that short rest twice in a row could be a bit of an issue but Kluber has just been so good in every clutch situation I think the pitching starting pitching favors the Indians
0: Yeah, that's going to favor the Indians but what about the bullpen can the Cleveland bullpen back up Kluber's What should be a strong performance
1: I think the bullpens are so good that they cancel each other out right now I think that's the big thing with the bullpens uh, if either team has a lead going into the 7th or 8th inning, the game's over. You're not going to score on Chapman, you're not going to score on Andrew Miller. And it's one of the key things, the Indians' bullpen is only, their star pitchers in the bullpen, that's you know Miller, Allen, they've only given up one run total in this whole series. And that was Miller giving up a run when they were already up 7-1. to one. It was completely inconsequential. So, I think this game is really a six-inning game. It's who can hold off the other one between Kluber and Hendricks because the bullpens are so dominant that whoever has the lead isn't going to lose it.
0: Those are the aces. Let's take a look at the batting orders for both teams. This is an AL ballpark because Kluber, the winning pitcher in the All-Star game, earns home field advantage, and it comes back in his favor as Kluber is going to start Game seven, for which he earned that home that's, field advantage. That's a pretty
1: impressive story. You don't see that very often. And this, this might be the first time that's happened. Which means it's a
0: DH in-play ballpark.
1: Yeah, and I don't... However, I don't know if that's really going to benefit the Indians. I mean, we saw Kyle Schwarber had to sit out the three games in Wrigley. And Kyle Schwarber had been such a dominant force in the first two games in uh, in Cleveland. So tonight, is going to be DHing, batting second behind Dexter Fowler. Uh, Chris Bryant hitting third for the Cubs. They've got a very strong lineup really just no weak points. Maybe Wilson Contreras, he hasn't been hitting very well in the World Series, but he's he has he's got some power. He could make a difference just out of nowhere, even though he hasn't hit, hit much so far in the postseason. Uh, Javier Baez is batting ninth. Baez is a spectacular hitter, and he's batting ninth for the Cubs, so this is obviously a great lineup for Chicago. Uh, good mix of power and speed with Fowler up top, Addison Russell batting 6th, obviously came up big with the power last night, but he's another very fast runner, very good all-around hitter.
0: Two questions, taking a look at this lineup. Who has the better start to the order, and who has more depth?
1: Well, that's, that's an interesting question. I think on paper the Cubs have more depth. I think the Cubs have an all-around better lineup on paper if you look at their regular season stats and you look at their sort of career numbers. Uh, but the Indians have had a lot of players come up clutch. I mean, Jason Kipnis, batting second, obviously a great player. But the guys lower in the lineup, Rajai Davis, Coco Crisp. When we talked about Crisp had that clutch pinch hit in Game 3 um he's you know a veteran he's been around a long time hit really well in the postseason roberto perez is batting ninth for cleveland coming into this series you wouldn't have picked him as an x-factor at all i mean he was a defensive specialist who's there because he's a good defensive catcher but he hit two home runs in game one so there's no reason to believe he can't just do that again uh this this cleveland lineup is so unexpected i think that's the best word to describe them You compare them to the Cubs, the Cubs have all of these star players like Rizzo, Bryant, Schwarber, uh, even Jason Hayward, who's been obviously very shaky this year, but he was a big name. He's had some good seasons in the past. Uh, But the Cleveland Indians, I think they might have the better lineup right now, just the way they've been hitting this postseason. It came out of nowhere, and they're not as good on paper, not as many all-stars, not as many superstar-level players, but they've come together as a team and been an incredible lineup so far.
0: Give me one hitter on
1: each team that you think will have a surprise impact tonight? Well, I don't think I guess Zobrist is not a surprise to anyone at right. this point, but still my pick for the Cubs would be Ben Zobrist. He's such a consistent hitter. Their best hitter percentage wise, you know, batting average on base percentage, whatever stat you want to look at, he's their best in the postseason. He's hitting three ninety one in the World Series so far. Zobrist is such a good all around player. You look at any sabermetric stat, it always has him in the top five or ten. He's always among the league leaders in war. And everything else like it. Wins above replacement, folks. Uh, yes, wins above replacement. Uh, Ben Zobrist, such a consistent hitter in every way. He went two for four last night, scored twice. He just doesn't do anything wrong. So I think Zobrist would be my pick for Cleveland, or sorry, for Chicago. For Cleveland, I would probably go with Mike Napoli. He has not hit up to his full potential so far, hitting two eleven in the World Series, which, you know, with such a small sample size, isn't terrible, but not really what you'd expect from your cleanup hitter. But still, Mike Napoli has the power that this team needs, and I think we could see him hit a home run tonight, have a big impact on the game, get an extra base hit at a clutch time. Mike Napoli's been here before. He's played on good teams his whole career. Uh, He's played with the Angels and Red Sox. uh, Angels back when they were really good, just after they won the World Series. And the Red Sox, obviously, have been very good for the last few years. So Mike Napoli has experience in these situations. He's been here before. I think we could see him be maybe the most important hitter in tonight's game.
0: That experience will absolutely pay off when it's the last game of the season and the batter's going to leave it all out there, hit it as hard as they possibly can, knock the cover off the ball, break their bats if they have to. They'll do anything it takes. Coming down to it, whether it goes nine innings or 27, who is getting rings tonight? Well, not tonight.
1: Who's getting fitted for rings tonight? I think it's Cleveland. I I would want... Corey Kluber pitching, even on double short rest over anyone else in the league right now. The way he's pitched in the postseason, I don't see him giving up more than one run. And I think Hendricks is going to be good, but I don't think he can compete with Kluber. I think they both go six innings, uh, and I think that it's maybe 2-1, one, one nothing, Very low-scoring game, and then no one's going to score on either bullpen.
0: Owen's got a 2-1. I have it 4-2. The distance called it in the beginning we think it's going to be the indians we still think the indians will take home the trophy and everything that goes along with it over to the gridiron halfway through the national football league season it's time to hand out some midseason awards we're going to do this by position starting with quarterbacks and yes tom brady is eligible for this award
1: Tom Brady is eligible for this award. He is not quite going to win it because he's played half the games that everyone else has. But regardless, I'm definitely going to give him second place for quarterbacks so far. But my top quarterback so far this season, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, 69% completion. That is among the league leaders, just behind Tom Brady, of course, and Drew Brees. Up there in every category, he leads the league in yards and yards per attempt, uh, 19 touchdowns, only four interceptions. Matt Ryan has been absolutely spectacular. 330 yards per game so far, and the only people who that is behind are Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Brady actually tied ahead on very small percentage points. Uh, but the uh, you know honorable mentions for this would be Brady and Brees. They've both been great as well. Brees has saved a very, very struggling Saints team to be polite. Uh, the Saints have one of the worst defenses in the league and not even a great all around offense, but Breeze has kept them relatively in contention in a very weak NFC South. And Tom Brady, everyone thought he would be rusty. Everyone thought he would not be able to bounce back from his suspension all that quickly. But 1,319 yards through four games, if you double that to give him the same amount of games as everyone else, he'd be second to Matt Ryan in yards. So it's, you know, he's been really spectacular. He's hungry. Uh, 12 touchdowns, no interceptions. No interceptions through four games. That's really unbelievable. So, yeah, Matt Ryan would be my top quarterback so far this year, keeping a Falcons team that's had some problems on defense and some problems with their running game. But Matt Ryan's keeping them really in the lead in that division. I think they're the best team right now in the NFC South.
0: Would you give Dak Prescott fourth? No.
1: We'll get to that later, but I think that's because of the Cowboys O-line.
0: Speaking of the Cowboys, let's look at the best running back.
1: Yeah, also, uh, another reason I'm not going to give it to Dak Prescott is Ezekiel Elliott has been the dominant force for the Cowboys. Exactly. He is the best running back in the league so far. Uh, he gets a lot of help from his offensive line. There's no question about that. Again, I'll get to that in a few minutes. But Ezekiel Elliott, 799 yards so far this season. That's first in the league. Five yards per carry. That's a pretty crazy number. Insane. It's, yeah, it's really off the charts. It, you don't see that for you know more than a game or two most of the time. Do you
0: see him keeping this up all season?
1: Uh, I see him keeping up at least close to this level. Uh, He's among the league leaders in every category. He's got five touchdowns so far, plenty of explosive runs. He's run for 20 or more yards seven times. That's very hard to do, even with a good O-line. And a good offensive line will increase your yards per carry. They'll get you a few extra yards on each play. Right. But it's up to you to get past the linebackers and safeties. Absolutely, yards after contact. has been really the best at that so far, except for maybe Jay Ajayi. Uh, I'm going to give him second place on the running back so far. Our honorable mention there. Jay Ajayi did not play the first couple of games of the year. He was injured and then didn't immediately get the starting job when he came back. But he's been the starter for the last four games. He actually leads the league in yards per carry at 6.4. I don't think he's going to keep that up all year, but he's certainly, if he can give up anything close to it, it'll lead the league. He's at 6.4. Second place is 5.3. And that's LaShawn McCoy. But McCoy hasn't been quite as consistent overall, and he's fumbled a couple of times. But Jay Ajayi has been... Very good for the Dolphins. He, uh, he's a second-year player out of Boise State. They weren't really expecting all that much of him, just to be sort of a rotation back, but they've gone with him as the starter the last couple of weeks. Two straight 200-yard performances. I mean, it's this is unheard of. That's good for your fantasy team. You don't you don't hear about that from a running back. Jay Ajayi has been very good. Uh, probably would get first place on my list if he had played all season. He's only played four games where he's been the starter, so I'm going to give him second place.
0: I feel like Tom Brady can relate to that.
1: Yeah, a very similar story, except for, you know, no press and no suspension or anything, but similar principle. Two players coming in
0: late, but still making an impact and still taking runner-up spots in their respective positions. Let's look at the fullbacks.
1: position that doesn't have a whole lot of stats, doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but I'm going to give it to John Kuhn. He's been the Packers fullback for a long time. He's on the Saints now. Uh, he's really helping out Breeze in that shaky running game because this offense is really led by Drew Breeze in every way. They're such a passing-heavy offense. So, they need some help with running the ball. John Kuhn already has a couple of touchdowns this year, three on the ground, one in the air, and he's been a great blocker. Really does everything the Saints need him to do, everything you would want in a fullback. He's been the best fullback in the league since Vontae Leach retired a couple years ago.
0: Plenty of nominees for wide receiver, but who takes home
1: the award? Well, the winner of this is pretty easy. Uh, A.J. Green is the best receiver in the league by far. Yes, he is. 59 receptions so far, 15 yards per catch. That is right among the top. I mean, Julio Jones is out front with 20, but he really only goes for deep balls, so I think that's a little different. Uh, AJ Green, only three touchdowns so far, but just always making the clutch catches. 112 yards per game. 112 receiving yards per game. He's reached 100 almost every game this year. Him and Andy Dalton are just on the same wavelength, and it works out incredibly well. Uh, A couple of honorable mentions for this category. T.Y. Hilton from the Colts. Uh, their team really struggling, terrible offensive line, shaky defense. But T.Y. Hilton keeping Andrew Luck's stats out of the gutter. <laughs> Andrew Luck not having his best two years now, but T.Y. Hilton really keeping him relevant. Didn't take a Stanford education to understand that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Larry Fitzgerald, he's 39 years old, I believe. Just keeps going and going and going. we got the Energizer Bunny out there in Arizona. Late
0: in his career and still makes Owens Podium.
1: For wide receivers. Absolutely. I mean, you you just you see the plays he makes. He's so intelligent. He's lost some of his speed. He's lost some of his agility. But it just doesn't matter. He can outsmart defenders. And he's still agile enough to get past some of them. But regardless, he he's so smart and so good at running routes precisely that he knows exactly where the quarterback's throwing the ball. He knows exactly where he needs to be and exactly where he needs to be before that to confuse the corner and safeties covering him.
0: Over to tight ends, a New England player in the mix, but not quite good enough.
1: I'm not going to give Gronk the award because, you know, similar to Brady and Ajayi, he has not played the whole year. Uh, He has not played really all that much this season, but he's been spectacular in the last couple of games when he's been there. I'm going to give the top tight end award to Jordan Reed, uh, the tight end from the Washington Redskins. He's been very, very good overall so far, uh, among the league leaders in all kinds of categories including receptions, yards per catch, etc. Jordan Reed, 42 receptions so far. That actually leads the league among tight ends, just ahead of Greg Olson. Uh, And in general, Jordan Reed, almost 10 yards per catch for a tight end, someone who's usually just going out for short routes. That's a really good number. uh, That trails only Olson, actually, among tight ends. And Jordan Reed, also three touchdowns so far. Been a really big part of that offense for Washington. They're a team that's been a little shaky so far, but Jordan Reed's been the star for the offense so far. Uh, Honorable mentions for tight end, obviously Gronk. He's the best tight end in the league when he's healthy, and there's no question about that. Much better than Jordan Reed, much better than anyone else, but just hasn't been healthy enough to get an award so far. And the other one, Greg Olson. He's keeping this Panthers offense from being completely terrible. (laughs) They've had a lot of issues so far. Don't know what's going on with the Panthers, but Greg Olson... Uh, 15 yards per catch as a tight end. 15 and a half to be exact. A couple of touchdowns, a 78 yard reception a few weeks ago. These are just stats you don't see from a tight end, so I'm very impressed by him so far.
0: Which team has the best offensive line?
1: Yeah, instead of uh, going by each position or going by a couple of specific offensive linemen, I'm just going to give it to the Cowboys. Uh, I was going through thinking of which individual players to give this award to, and it was just going to be a bunch of Cowboys anyway. So. <laughs> Cowboys O-line of Tyron Smith, Ronald Leary, Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, and Doug Free. They have all been amazing so far. They are consistently among the best offensive linemen in the league. Doug Free had some trouble a couple of years ago getting called for holding and false starts all the time. He's really smoothed that out, and he's become one of the better right tackles in the league. Zach Martin might be the best guard in the league right now. I think he, ever since he came out of Notre Dame a couple of years ago, he has been if not the best, very close to the best offensive lineman in the entire NFL. Travis Frederick, probably the top center in the NFL right now. This is an offensive line with a couple of stars. I think Frederick and Martin are the top two offensive linemen in the entire league, and they have no weak points. Tyron Smith and Ronald Leary on the blind side for Dak have been really, really good.
0: Let's look at the linebackers.
1: Who do you have? Uh, For linebacker, I'm actually going to go back to Carolina. Uh, Two star players there. On offense, they've got Olsen, and on defense, Luke Kuechly. Uh, Keekley among the league leaders in every category, 74 tackles, 52 solo tackles, also four passes defended, and an interception. Luke Keekley does it all. He can cover, he can stop the run, he can really play coverage well enough to prevent some passing options. You see this with corners, uh, like Richard Sherman sometimes. You see teams just not throw at him. You used to see this back when Namdi Asamoah was at his peak that they affect the game not even by getting interceptions, but just by playing such good defense that their man is never open. Keekley is the first linebacker I've ever seen do that consistently, guarding tight ends or guarding running backs out of the backfield. He just shuts them down to the point where no one even throws to them. Uh, honorable mentions for linebacker, I'm going to go with Zach Brown, uh, keep, keeping Buffalo's defense solid. He leads the league in tackles at 87, well ahead of Keekley's 74. Uh, doesn't play pass defense as well. Uh, that's why I'm giving Keekley the award. He Keekley really does it all. But Zach Brown has been the best run stopper so far. Also has three sacks. Uh, and Bernardrick McKinney from Houston. That's a strong defense, even with J.J. Watt's health in question. Bernardrick McKinney has kept Houston's defense really stingent. 73 tackles, uh, three sacks as well. A couple of passes defended. He does play the coverage game pretty well in addition.
0: Best defensive lineman. Uh,
1: this has been Khalil Mack basically since he got into the league. Khalil Mack for Oakland has been just amazing so far. Uh, he, Ever since he got drafted, he's been the top defensive lineman at any position, any specific position. Uh, he's got five sacks so far this year, 39 tackles as well, forced a fumble. And he's he can do it all. He stops the run, he stops the pass. He pressures every single play. He never lets up. He's out there pretty much every down. Uh, the one honorable mention I'm going to give for this position is Cliff Averill uh for Seattle. He's got seven and a half sacks that leads defensive lineman. He doesn't play the run game quite as well. Uh that's why I'm giving Mac the award. Mac really does it all for a lineman, but Cliff Averill, the best pass rusher in the league right now. Who's the best cornerback in the NFL? I was not expecting this before the season, but right now it is a Kib Talib. Um the longtime Patriot, longtime couple other things. He's bounced around a little now he is in Denver and he is spectacular. Three interceptions, 11 passes defended. That's tied for first in the league. And just in general, he does not have any weaknesses so far. 20 total tackles as well. He comes up and plays the run sometimes as a nickelback or something like that. And he he really plays the corner position so well, he's shut down a lot of the top receivers this year.
0: Four honorable
1: mentions. Yeah, there's been a lot of good corners. It's hard to pick just one. Casey Hayward for San Diego, four interceptions. Uh, pick, uh, pick six, interception return touchdown. Plays the run very well as well, probably better than any other corner. He's got 38 total tackles. uh, Really does very well in all aspects of the game. Uh, Malcolm Butler, ever since that interception in the Super Bowl, he's taken off and been one of the best corners in the league. That's a pretty pretty good confidence boost. Yeah, biggest interception maybe in NFL history. Um, But yeah, Malcolm Butler still among the league's elite corners. Dominique Rodgers-Cromartie from the Giants. Uh, Not many people on the Giants have been relevant so far this year, but DRC... Uh, you know, standing his ground is one of the better corners in the league. Very good in pass coverage. Nine passes defended, just two interceptions. But he is one, really, one of those players, as I was talking about with keekley who he shuts down a receiver to such a degree sometimes that you just don't even see them get the ball. And same with Richard Sherman. Can't leave him off the list. You know, as vocal as he is and as crazy as he is, sometimes I mean, as smart as he is. Yeah, I mean, you can forget that he really is that good. He does have the play to back up all of the stuff he talks about. He is still one of the league's elite corners, and I think he's one of the top five in the NFL right now. Best safety. Well, I'm going to stay in the Legion of Boom. I was just talking about Sherman. This time, I'm going to give the award to Earl Thomas, another Seahawks player, very good all-around player, 24 tackles, and I can guarantee you, all 24 people that he tackled did not feel very good. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen a safety hit as hard as Earl Thomas. He's also got two interceptions, five passes defended. Uh, he, He really can play the coverage game better than most safeties. They can leave him in one-on-one coverage, and at the same time, he's fantastic at help coverage. You see so many safeties get beat over the top, not getting out wide quick enough or getting to the seam quick enough when a corner gets beat one-on-one or a linebacker gets beat up the middle. Earl Thomas is always on top of his game, always knows when to collapse in and when to go out wide and help out his corners. Uh, one honorable mention for here, Malcolm Jenkins, a uh, longtime star for the Saints, now with the Eagles. Jenkins has been a great all-around player as well. Uh, He is really one of the best consistent players in the league. Not really leading the league in any specific stats, just plays the coverage game very well. I really like the way he comes up to stop the run sometimes. Very good all-around player.
0: As we get into special teams, the man who is about to determine the winners for these awards is probably one of the best special teams analysts in the country. And that is not is not an exaggeration, folks. He's that good, former kicker himself. He goes in-depth with analysis, and he's he spent more time picking the best special teams players than any other category on the list. But he has two kickers that are inseparable and thus co-champions of
1: best kicker. I did not even tell John that I spent more time on this than anything else, but yet he is absolutely right. Uh, regardless, my two winners are Adam Vinatieri for the Colts and Justin Tucker for the Ravens. They're both 18-for-18. 18 18. They're both perfect on extra points. Their stats look basically identical. If you have to pick one, Vinatieri has kicked more extra points, so that would give him the edge, technically, but still, hundred it doesn't really matter. You Neither of them yeah. are going to miss an extra point. Can't Justin fault Tucker, someone for being perfect. Justin Tucker doesn't miss extra points. Vinatieri doesn't miss extra points. These are the two best kickers in the league by far. If you'd asked me before the season... I would have put, uh, you know, the Patriots Steven Gostowski, up there, but he's had a bit of a shaky year. Missed a couple of extra points, which is very unlike him. Broke his streak of 400 something. Well, they row, have gotten harder, which recently. was an NFL record. Yes, they have, but it has affected harder. Tucker. Tucker, I don't believe has ever missed an extra point, not since his first season in the league, which was well before they moved them back. Uh, but Tucker, you know, seven of seven from 40 plus, from 40 to 49, 11 of 11 from 40-plus yards. Same for Vinatieri. I mean, these two have nearly limitless range. Tucker's career-long is 61 uh, in a game-winner against the Steelers a couple years ago, which is still one of my favorite moments in recent NFL history. Uh, And Adam Vinatieri, of course, has some of the greatest field goals of all time. I would say the greatest with the uh, kick in the blizzard to beat the Raiders in the playoffs. Also two Super Bowl game winners. Can't forget about that. Uh, You do have a worthy bronze medalist. Yes, uh, Greg Zerlein is also perfect. Uh, I'm not giving him the award because he is only 10 for 10, whereas the other two I mentioned are 18 for 18. But Zerlein has also not missed, also has great range. Uh, 2 of 2 from 50+, 12 of 12 on extra points. Uh, Greg Zerlein, they call him the leg in St. Louis or in L.A. now. and The the, the move has not affected him at all. Greg (laughs) Zerlein still among the elite kickers in the league.
0: So we'll say he's potentially eligible for the end-of-season award. Definitely. Now to not punters, who there's not as many top players in the, in the highest echelon for you.
1: Well, I don't think anyone gives a whole lot of love to all the punters out there. But I'm going to give a special shout-out to the award winner here, Marquette King. He is not only the best punter in the league right now, he's also the best fake punter in the league. <laughs> he had a completely unplanned fake punt where he ran for a first down on 4th and 24 this past week. There was a bad snap, was very low. He picked it up and was about to punt, realized it was going to get blocked. Instead of just kicking and getting blocked, he tucked and ran. And he was 40 yards from the first down marker where he was standing. Didn't matter. No one could catch him. Spectacular athlete and also the best punter in the league. Amazing yards per rush there. Yeah, Exactly. He's, I believe, 26 or 27 yards per carry now for Marquette (laughs) King. Averaging 49 yards per punt, 19 punts inside the 20, That's second in the league to Johnny Hecker. Uh, Marquette King has emerged out of nowhere as the game's best punter right now. A 72-yard punt in Baltimore. He did the Ray Lewis dance after that. That was fun. Deservedly so. Absolutely. And, yeah, uh, Marquette King, by far the best punter in the league right now. Uh, The one runner-up I'm going to name here, Shane Leckler, the former Oakland punter and the longtime best punter in the league. He's in Houston now, 48.4 yards per kick, 15 of them inside the 20, only one touchback. That's some insane accuracy right there. The fact that he can consistently get the ball out of bounds inside the 5, inside the 10, never letting it go into the end zone and giving the opponents that extra little bit of field position. 38 punts, only one of them ending up in the end zone. As a punter, you never want the ball in the end zone, so that's... That's really well done from Leclerc there. Uh, long time Raiders punter. Been very good even since he moved to Houston.
0: We shift from individual awards quickly to some team awards. Not all awards can be positive, though. The worst offensive team.
1: Well, I had to think about whether I was going to give this to the Jets or the Browns, and then the Jets beat the Browns, so I guess I'm giving it to the Browns. <laughs> they have gone through six quarterbacks, so not really any fault of their own. So many injuries. This was a bad team anyway, and then they've lost any good players who they had. I mean, RG3 was hurt within two minutes of stepping onto the field the first time. I
0: think, if I'm correct, we have as many wins as Cleveland does this season.
1: Yes, we do. I have as many wins as do you, John, as anyone on the Cleveland Browns at any position this year. That's not good. Uh, I believe that is going to continue. They lost their only chance to win a game this year, as far as I'm concerned, against the Jets this week. You think they will... I think they'll go 0-16. 0-16. I absolutely think they'll go 0-16. They blew a 20-7 to lead against the New York Jets, who might be the second-worst team in football right now. The Jets have been terrible. Uh, one positive for the Cleveland Browns is that they just got Jamie, <laughs> Jamie Collins, <laughs> which was, to be honest, just a cruel joke from Bill Belichick. He did not need to trade Jamie Collins. He did not need the compensatory third-round draft pick they got in return. It was completely irrelevant. Jamie Collins asked for more money, and Bill Belichick said, "No, you're in timeout in Cleveland." So
0: that is that is that's larger than any penalty imaginable. Absolutely. In the NFL, in the NHL,
1: it's the worst thing that can happen. Think about it as
0: a season-long penalty box.
1: Oh, it's longer than a season. He was on the best team in football. The Patriots are probably the best team in the league right now. Now that Brady's back and Gronk is healthy. And
0: he'll be watching the playoffs from his comfy couch.
1: <laughs> and Jamie Collins can now watch his former teammates as he sits in his Browns jersey. Eating popcorn. Eating popcorn because the Browns are definitely not going to the playoffs. Drinking in Arnold Palmer, almost mathematically eliminated.
0: Now from the negatives to the positives. Who's been the best offensive
1: team? Patriots. You know, I I, I can try to justify giving it to someone else, but it's it's the New England Patriots, and there's not really much question about it. Broncos look good, Packers look shaky. Those were probably the other teams coming into the season that people would have picked, but there's there's just no question who it is right now. Uh, The New England Patriots are the best offensive team in the league. They've been so good in every way. Their offensive line has been solid. Tom Brady, as I mentioned. One of the best quarterbacks in the league, probably the best since he came back uh, in the last four weeks. Their running game has been solid. Their passing game is maybe the best. They just don't have any weaknesses on offense.
0: Now, from the best offensive team to the worst defensive team.
1: Well, I can't call out the Browns again, can I? You could, but. I could. Uh... They just got an upgrade. That's true. Uh, they did. I'm still going to say the Browns are probably the worst, but I'm just going to, just on principle, worst. I'm going to give it to someone give else. Give Jamie Collins benefit of the doubt. Oh, I'm not giving him anything. He got himself traded to Cleveland. That's his own fault. Dang on. But <laughs> I am going to call out my personal favorite team for, for this one. The New Orleans Saints defense looks awful. They cannot get anything right. Uh, Roman Harper is... You know, one of the oldest safeties in the league, and he is doing everything he can to make this secondary function, and it is just not working. Ever since Jonathan Vilmer retired and Will Smith retired, it, it's just not pretty. The Saints defense can't stop the run at all, and they're not looking great against the pass either.
0: Let's look at the bright side. Who's the best off, best defensive team?
1: I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. They've been the most surprising team in general this year. Uh, I don't think anyone expected them to be very good, and now they're leading the NFC North. Even after that disappointing loss to the Bears on Monday night, they're still the best team in the NFC North. One of the best teams in the entire league, and it's all because of their defense. Their offense is fine. It's certainly better than expected, but it's not really anything special. You can't expect Sam Bradford to win you a Super Bowl by himself. Uh, But but if you give him the league's best defense, he's got a shot. I think the Vikings are a team that could go all the way to the Super Bowl this year. I don't know that they could beat the Patriots, but... Their defense is good enough that they could take down anyone in the NFC right now.
0: Last last pair of awards. Who's been the most disappointing player? Someone whose bar was set high
1: and, and he fell short. Well, I know this is exactly what you'd expect from me. Uh, I'm going to go to a kicker who was drafted in the third round of this year because that happened. Yes, it did. Uh, I was actually fully in favor of it when the Bucks drafted Roberto Aguayo. He was the best kicker in college football in the last couple of decades, probably since Nate Kaeding back when Peyton Manning played at Tennessee. He was that good, and he was supposed to save the Bucs in their kicking game after just a couple of years of terrible kickers, just cycling through, people getting hurt, people missing extra points consistently. Roberto Aguayo is 7-for-12 so far this year. His He was famous in college for having ridiculous range, consistently hitting field goals over 50 yards. He is 2-for-6 from 40-plus so far this year, and he's missed two extra points.
0: Not worthy of a third-round draft pick?
1: Absolutely not. There are kickers in the league who are worthy of that level. If you want to look, even over the last couple of years, uh, Caleb Sturgis was drafted in the fifth round by Miami, and people were calling that too high. And, to be fair, they released him. But now, Sturgis is one of the league's best kickers in Philly, 17-for-18 this year.
0: What player has surprised you the most?
1: Well... Pretty much the entire Minnesota Vikings, but to pick one specific player, I'd go with Sam Bradford. For one, he is healthy. (laughs) That's a big surprise. But in addition to that, Sam Bradford has been a great quarterback so far this season. He's not the best. He's not an elite quarterback. But he's above average, and he has taken a team that had very low expectations, according to most people, and he's brought them to be maybe the best team in the NFC.
0: That wraps up our NFL Mid-Season Awards. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, Paul Ross will join us to discuss some of the NHL's standout teams early on in this season. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. We're about to get into some NHL action, but first we'd like to remind you that you can like us on Facebook.
1: I invite your friends to like us on Facebook.
0: At facebook.com slash the distance dot sports blog. You can follow us on Twitter, me at Stretch Newton and Olin.
1: At PurpleHaze37, that is Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S.
0: You can also follow me on Instagram at StretchNewton2 and on Periscope at StretchNewton for live broadcasts and replays.
1: If you like what you're
2: hearing, subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on what you enjoyed.
0: And that was the voice of Paul Ross, our resident Canadian Woo. and hockey expert. Welcome right. to the show, Paul.
2: Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here.
0: Paul Ross has come up with a list of three teams in the East and three teams in the West that have impressed him the most so far. So, Paul, let's get to the East first.
2: All right. So... My cup picks at the beginning of the year, I had Nashville over Tampa in about six games, and I'm going to stick with the Tampa Bay Lightning to go all the way. I think that the Lightning with Steven Stamkos back on the team are very, very lethal. I'm not so sure about Jonathan Druen's health right now. He got a really bad hit against the New York Islanders, and I'm not really sure about how he's going to be. But the Lightning are very impressive, and even with their goaltending situation with Ben Bishop and Andre Vasilevsky, not really sure who the number one goalie is, they're going to be really, really good, and they're going to be tough in the playoffs, if healthy. And for another team in the East, I would go with the New York Rangers. I mean, never really been a fan of the Rangers. I don't really like the way that they play, but... Well, there is. Well, that's, (laughs) that's true. But I think that they're very good offensively this year. Jimmy Vesey... Former Hobie Baker winner is a very, very, very good contributor on this team. He's a good addition. And I feel as though they're young. They're they're kind of in the midst of a rebuild similar to the Bruins where they haven't fully taken down the team, but they are incorporating young players. But unlike the Bruins, they're actually playing really well. And I feel as though if they make the playoffs, if they continue playing the way that they are right now, they'll compete for a cup. And finally, my last team, the East, how can you how can you leave out the Washington Capitals? I mean, the Capitals always there every year, except in the playoffs. I mean, we know what happened last year. But this year, they, they're they steady. They're good. They have arguably the best goalie in the league. Well, right now, I would think Carey Price is. But Braden Holpe is very solid. And if you think about it, Ovechkin always will contribute. may have 50 goals this year. Oshie's been playing well. They're a good team, and they will probably compete for a cup again.
1: I think that sooner or later, they're going to figure it out in the playoffs. The Caps have to do it at some point. They've got such a solid team overall. Ovechkin is maybe the league's best scorer. I would say it's pretty close between him and Stamkos. Holtby, probably the second-best goalie right now. Sometimes the best. I mean, him and Price seem to go back and forth. Right. Uh, I I can't see them continuing to lose in the playoffs every single year. Right.
2: If you think about it, though, you go and look at Montreal. They've only allowed 14 goals this year, which is ridiculous. But... Washington steps it up every year, except for when it comes to the playoffs. In the regular season, they're really good. But I think one of these years, I mean, last year was their year, and it didn't happen. This year, I think that because of that, they'll get it together. And if you're a hockey fan, you want to see Ovechkin try to compete for a cup. It doesn't matter if you're a Penguins fan. You want to see Ovechkin try and
1: get the Stanley Cup. There's no question he's one of the best players in the league, absolutely. Right.
0: Paul, you brought up Montreal. Montreal. And this team is yet to lose a game in regulation. And like you said, no one has given up fewer goals than them. Mm-hmm. They have a stellar goal differential, 17, only bettered by the Rangers. Why don't you think Montreal is ready to compete for a cup?
2: They don't have any offense. I mean, trading away P.K. Subban and getting back Shea Weber, who has actually played really well for Montreal, not the smartest trade. And I think about when you've only got one real offensive weapon, and that's Max Pacioretty. But he's not really a playmaker. He scores a lot of goals, but he doesn't really pass the puck. And Radulov's okay. Galchenyuk, not really an offensive player. Plakanin's definitely a defensive player. I've also got Andrew Shaw. They're not really built for a lot of and firepower. But if they make the playoffs, you've got the best goalie in the league, Carey Price. I mean, he might win the heart this year as the best player in the league. But... I don't really see them really competing for a cup unless they actually make the playoffs and they have a high seed. Because when Carey Price is healthy, he's the best player in the world.
1: I think the if you look at the Canadians in the playoffs, as you said, there's really not much offense. And that really comes in clutch. I mean, people say right. defense wins championships, but you just can't win with a team that's so focused on one side or the other. And I think this is something we've even seen with the Capitals from time to time, is that their defense sort of wilts in the playoffs Right. You can't just win with an offense or a defense. And I think that's why I agree that the Lightning are going to be a really scary team. They have Absolutely. everything. You really need to have a balanced team. Even if you specialize in offense or defense or in one specific area of the game, you cannot win a Stanley Cup or even make the Cup Finals without an all-around team that can do it all whenever necessary.
2: Right, and if you, a lot of people forget that the Lightning have Victor Hedman, who's a stud on the defensive end, and he can change a game because of how big he is, but also he carries the puck through the offensive zone with ease because no one really can get him off the puck. He's similar to Brett Burns, as we saw last year in the cup final and throughout the Western conference playoffs. And if you think about it, the lightning with Stamkos back, remember that was a big, that was a big addition to the team when they realized that they could get Stamkos back. I mean, they only had him for one game back in the playoffs and they lost that game seven to the penguins. But He's a contributor, and he's scored 60 goals before. I don't see why he wouldn't score 60 goals again. Maybe not this year, just because of how few goals are scored in the NHL. But the Lightning are really a team to watch. I mean, they're a lot of fun. They, I mean, afterwards, they've got Kucherov locked down, but what's going to happen with Tyler Johnson? A lot of people are wondering whether or not he will stay with this team after the season, may possibly make a trade. Same thing with Ben Bishop. I'm pretty sure he's on his way out. So... It's a very interesting time for the Tampa Bay Lightning and the time to win a cup is now.
1: And if you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning I and mean, you you look at the, how much they did last year, right. that was without Stamkos. Yeah. Like you just like you look at how amazing that team was going to game 7 so late in the playoffs. They were in the conference finals. Yeah, too. They, they they were one game away from the Stanley Cup finals. And that was without Steven Stamkos on their team for the vast majority of the season right. and for almost all of the postseason. So with him back, maybe the best goal scorer in the entire league. I think there's no question that they're the favorites right now.
0: He's a huge addition and he's gonna make such a huge offensive impact right. in a conference which might not have as much offensive impact, excluding the Rangers.
2: Which is surprising. Yeah. Very much so.
0: But Paul, who what's a middle of the pack team in the mm-hmm. East that you think would be a dark horse and actually make a decent run at the cup?
2: I think well, I would think that there are two teams. I think but conventional wisdom would have me go and say the New Jersey Devils. They haven't made the playoffs since they won the cup, or they lost almost in the cup count. final. Almost won, excuse me, in close. 2012. They were close, surprisingly too. That was a ragtag team, that was but exciting. if you think about it, New Jersey made a huge trade by getting Taylor Hall, getting rid of Adam Larson. as a Devils fan, you were very happy about I that. was
1: extremely happy. Adam yeah. Larson's a great defender, but just not in the stratosphere of Taylor Hall. No,
2: Taylor Hall, when healthy, can get 80 points, finish top 10 in scoring. And if you think about it, New Jersey is one of those teams that can really, if they make the playoffs with Corey Schneider and with the defensive mold they have, and they have a good coach, and I'm pretty sure New Jersey, if they make the playoffs, can make a
1: decent run. I think uh, the issue the last few years for New Jersey has been similar to what Paul was saying about the Canadians. They've got, they're Offensive. built the same yeah. way. They've got a great defensive team without a whole lot of offense. You've got players like Zajac who are who have, in, at this point in his career, he's become a defensive player, and they really just relied on Henrique. Mm-hmm. But this year, I mean, you've got the combination of Taylor Hall and Adam Henrique That is terrifying on the top line. Yeah. You've got these other players, like Devontae Smith-Pelly came over last year. I like him a no lot. No expectations. Yeah. No one expected him to do anything. He scored a goal in his first four games yeah. and was just one of the league's best players the rest of the season. So if you've got offensive players like that making contributions the entire season... I think the Devils can have a much better season this year. It's
2: interesting you brought him up because a lot of teams have given up on him. Anaheim did it, Montreal did it, and he's one of those players. He was awesome when he played in junior. I remember when he was playing in junior and he was really, really talented and he could skate like no one else. So I think it would be very interesting to see how he will fare on this New Jersey team. So far it's been pretty good.
1: Yeah, better than expected.
0: Let's shift over to the West. Paul, who are the three teams in the West that have impressed you the most?
2: I like the Minnesota Wild. It's interesting. They're one of those teams that they've made the playoffs consistently, but they keep getting beat by Chicago, even though last year they lost to Dallas. I think that because Bruce Boudreaux knows how to win games, except for when it comes to the playoffs. He can win a lot of games the regular season, and right now Minnesota has the best record in the Central Division, and they're one of those teams where they have a really good goaltender, Devin Dubnik, which surprised everyone a few years yeah, ago. where did when, he come from? Exactly. <laughs> he was I mean, awful in Edmonton. It's true. Well, I mean, <laughs> Edmonton, Edmonton, your stats awful, really yeah. go down because they had no defense. But Minnesota is a team that can compete for a cup, especially in the toughest division in hockey. Any one of those seven teams, maybe with the exception of the Jets, can make the playoffs this year. And I think Minnesota, if they continue to play the way that they are, they'll have a decent chance at the Cup this year.
1: I think even the Jets have a shot to make it. Pavlik is a pretty underrated goalie, I think.
2: Pavlik's over the that, team. Oh, really? Pavlik is playing the a- AHL. That's right. They've got Hellebuck and they've got Hutchinson.
1: Those are their goalers. Where did Hellebuck come from?
2: He's he's an American who's played really well with them. Hmm. Uh, he was on the World Cup North America World Cup team, RIP. Yeah. But well. I feel as though... There are a lot of good teams in that division. Now, if you go to another division, the Pacific, which is basically the wild, wild west, you got a wild team in the Edmonton Oilers. Connor McDavid is winning the scoring title this year. I don't think there's any question about it. Right now, the leading scorer in the NHL is Artem Nisimov, who I saw play in the AHL back with the Hartford Wolfpack. He's not winning the scoring title. I mean, just because you're playing with Patrick Kane does not automatically mean that you're going to get a lot of points. But in his case, that's what he's doing right now. But... Edmonton Oilers, with the exception of last night and then they had a stinker against Ottawa, they're a really good team. I mean, Cam Talbot may allow a lot of goals, but he's a legit NHL goaltender. And you've got Conor McDavid, who's going to be a monster, and he is a monster right now when healthy. I mean, last year he had 45 points in 43 games. Very, very impressive. And if you think about it right now, the Oilers are a team, especially having Milan Lucic, that's a big addition on the first line with McDavid and Everly. And I feel as though Edmonton is one of those teams where if they make the playoffs, anything can happen.
1: And they have so much talent on that team. They've had so much talent for so long. I think right. it was just a matter of time before they finally put it all together. Yeah. And I think they've finally got some defense. The Taylor Hall trade was rough, but you know, talent-wise. But yeah. Adam Larson is a really key player. Like, for the way they play, they needed more defenders. Right. And They're, so the fact that they have a legit goaltender and a couple of decent defenders yeah. really going to help them out. The interesting
2: thing about Adam Larson is that he's tasked with playing number one defensive minutes. He's not really a number one defenseman, but at the same time, he'll give you solid defensive stats every night. And another team that I think has a chance to compete for a cup, and you can say it every year since 2010, the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean... They don't have the glitz and glamour like they did in 2013 with how how much firepower they had on offense. But if you think about it, Patrick Kane is going to put up numbers every year in every game, and Jonathan Taze is going to go down as one of the greatest captains in NHL history. And they're a team that could really compete for a cup. They just have to make the playoffs. That's just, like you if you said the same thing about LA. LA competes for a cup, but they make the playoffs. So. Chicago is definitely one of those teams. They don't have to do so great in the regular season. Like They can even end up as a wild-card spot, and they could beat a team like Minnesota. They've done that in the past. They could beat St. Louis. They could beat anyone in that division. And then in the Pacific, they could probably beat anyone in that division as well. So I could see them going all the way to the Cup as well. And if you think about a dark horse, a team that is outside of the playoff spot right now but who can really make the playoffs, Nashville Predators.
0: Bottom of the division.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's surprising, but it's also, so close, think though. about it, it's also November 2nd.
0: Yeah. Plenty of time.
2: What happens right now, I mean, Montreal was the best team in the league last year, they're the best team in the league right now at this time, and they finished ninth worst in the NHL. So anything could happen, and I predict Nashville, with a former Hab, P.K. Subban, will end up making the playoffs, and they'll be scary to watch. I mean, it's terrifying that P.K. Subban is playing with Roman
1: on a, a Just defensive pairing, pairing it's the best
2: defensive le- pairing in the league, no questions asked. And I can really see them competing for a cup as well. The goaltending, Pekka Renee has always been, oh, Pekka Renee's is great. He's a little bit overrated, but at the same time, he'll give you solid goaltending. He's a legit NHL goal. He
0: doesn't
1: make a whole lot of mistakes. I you, think that's the big thing with Renee. You
2: mentioned
0: right. how his glove is one of the best of, of goaltending all time.
1: It is the best. All time? Maybe Rojor. Even then, Rene's glove specifically is just so unreal. He looks like a baseball player.
2: Yeah, it's also because of his size, too. His size is a big factor. And Nashville has always played a very defensive style, but they now have an offensive coach, Peter Laviolette, who helped them get in the playoffs a couple years ago. Stanley Cup
0: winner with the Hurricanes. (laughs)
1: That's true. Yes, that happens. That's true. I'll acknowledge that. (laughs) But
2: at the same time, Nashville is really a tough team to play against.
0: You mentioned the L.A. Kings. Yeah. Are they going to flip the switch in time? Because they, they try to get to that eighth spot. I, I don't know why. That's just what they seem to do. It's early. They flipped it too the, late sometimes.
2: The main thing with L.A. is they need Jonathan Quick, and they need him now. He's hurt. They need him to come back. Otherwise, they don't have a goalie. Jeff Zatkoff cannot carry starter load. Oh, absolutely not. No. No, he can't. And, I mean, L.A. is getting a little older so I think that they'll end up making the playoffs just because of how wild the Pacific Division is. I don't see Anaheim continuing the way that it's playing right now. They're in the third spot in the division. I'm not really sure if they're gonna make the playoffs. I don't think there's any way Vancouver makes the playoffs. They've lost their last five. They went four zero, and now they're four four and one. Not a very oh, good boy. team. <laughs> Calgary, they're an in- Calgary's a very interesting you team because right you Calgary never know has no so game. much offense. And they now have a decent goalie, Brian Elliott, but... Definitely an, an improvement from Carter Yeah, Oh, yeah, out. I'm sure that's definitely an improvement because they don't have to worry about allowing five or six goals in the net every night.
0: But right? no one's given up more goals in the West than Calgary.
1: Right, that's just their style. Right. You saw most it in goals, the playoffs last goals year. In the league. You saw it in the playoffs last year, though. Every like All of their playoff games were 7-5, 7-4 one way or the other. They would either outscore yeah. their opponents or just get outscored. And there was never anything about defense. Defense was completely irrelevant.
2: Right, even though Mark Giordano was a Norse candidate every year. He's the only good counter. defender on the team.
1: <laughs> right, yeah,
2: because Dougie Hamilton, he was lauded in Boston. Everyone loved him. It's the same thing with Tyler Sagan. Those are all Peter Shirelli moves, who actually is the GM for rival Edmonton Oilers. Interesting how that happens,
0: yeah. That wraps up our section on the ice. But, Olin, you have a few words you'd like to say about Andre Johnson?
1: Well, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, uh, our, for our second straight week, we're going to be talking about a all-star for the Texans. Andre Johnson was one of the best receivers in the league from when he came into the league in 2003, and he just continued it his whole career. He was on the Texans from 03 until 2014. He was great every year, played almost every game most years, only missed significant time in two seasons, and he really just did it all. He was one of the great receivers out of the slot, out of out wide. He could, he could play anywhere on the line. He played with so many different quarterbacks. I mean, it was Matt Schaub for a while. It was David Carr for a while. And none of them were really that great. Andre Johnson made them look spectacular. You'd put him in double coverage against two of the best corners and safeties or whoever was trying to guard him. It didn't even matter. He was always open. He was always making something happen. And even the last couple of years, you know, he was old, was getting older, everyone knew he was getting older and fading, or if they thought he was fading, but he went to Indianapolis, then this year he went to Tennessee, didn't play that well in Tennessee this year, he's been hurt, that's why he's retiring in the first place, he's definitely, you know, at the end of his career, but even just last year in Indianapolis, played very well with a very shaky Colts team, he really leveled that team up, was a great veteran leader, in addition to a really good player, and I'd really don't think there have been too many receivers in the game as intelligent as Andre Johnson. He
0: is a glue that holds football teams together, and the league is worse now that he's gone. We'd like to thank everyone who was listening to this episode, and you can check out the link to this pod and our blog on the distance.sportsblog.com. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash the distance.sportsblog. Follow each of us on Twitter at StretchNewton,
1: at purple Hayes37, that's H A Y E S. And at real Paul Ross. And if you enjoyed this episode, let your friends know about the show. Subscribe for more great content on iTunes or Google Play.
0: Before we end things up, we'd like to give out some shout outs, Olin Hayes.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna start this off with a goaltender for Burnley of all teams. Burnley new to the Premier League this year. Shaking his head as he yeah. <laughs> this was not intentional. I didn't mean to slam man U again for the second straight week. Uh Thanks, Noah, for doing that last week. Um, Man U absolutely dominated Burnley this past week. There is no question who the better team was. Should have been 5-0. No. It should have been 10-0. No. But Tommy <laughs> Eaton, shut out Man U, shut out Ibrahimovic, Pogba, etc., made some of the greatest saves I've ever seen. Even Man U legends like Peter Schmeichel were talking about how this was maybe the greatest individual goaltending performance in the history of the Premier League. Some of the great goaltenders of all time said this might be the best performance ever by a goalie. Tom Heaton made a ridiculous amount of saves. Scoring varies depending on what counts as a save according to certain scorekeepers, but in the 15 to 20 range, something like that. Made a save on Ibrahimovic that he said nearly broke his arm. (laughs) Uh, Watching it, I am not surprised. It, It looked rough, but Tom Heaton really just made so many of the greatest saves I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen a performance that good from a soccer goalie except for maybe Tim Howard against Belgium.
2: Paul Ross. I want to shout out to my boy, Nazem Kadri, for scoring two goals last night, including the overtime winner against the Edmonton Oilers for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And while playing against Connor McDavid, he shut him down one-on-one. And it's interesting because Kadri is not one of the new players on the Maple Leafs. Of course, the Maple Leafs have a huge rebuild, getting Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Rookie of the Month, William Nylander, and they're completely changing the team around. But one of the constants since the Brian Burke era has been Nazem Kadri. And, of course, we wanted him to be a number one center. He's not a number one center. He's either a number two or number three. But he played a great game last night and showed a lot of leadership by shutting down McDavid and for scoring two goals and winner against Edmonton. I mean, I was very happy with his performance and, quite frankly, very impressed. My shout-out goes to Anthony Davis,
0: who may have zero wins this season, but he had 95 points in his first two games, and his efforts have not gone unnoticed by basketball folks here at the distance. Pulling down boards left and right, 32 rebounds to complement those 95 points in just those first two games alone. Sure, he didn't have a great game against the Spurs, but that's the San Antonio Spurs, and they just made him shoot fewer shots. But when he gets those touches— Gets those shots. Momentum starts going for him. He gets those rebounds. He makes an impact. He's had multiple blocks every single game, keeping the turnovers down and doing a lot of work at the free throw line. He needs help. He
2: needs a lot of help.
0: He might not get it. No. But it's been an outstanding effort from the Brow to lead the Pelicans. The
1: one Brow himself.
0: We're going the distance, but we'll come back around very soon.